एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं अक्षय हाय दिस इज सौरभ एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू द फाउंडर थीसिस पॉडकास्ट वी मीट सम ऑफ द मोस्ट सेलिब्रेटेड सार्ट ऑफ फाउंडर्स इन द कंट्री एंड वी वॉन्ट टू लर्न हाउ टू बिल्ड यूनिकॉर्न my name is nishchal shetty and i'm the founder and ceo of wazirx which is india's largest crypto exchange what do you think of when you hear the word cryptocurrency i'm guessing you fall into one of the two camps this word either represents the latest fad or is the future of money in the world our guest today nishchal shetty is firmly in the category of believers so much so that he founded wazirx as one of the first crypto exchange platforms in india listen to akshay dath talk to nishchal and demystify blockchain cryptocurrency and bitcoin nishchal is one of the most respected voices in this field in india and he helps us to take a balanced and long term perspective towards cryptocurrency beyond the headlines of the latest bitcoin prices i wanted to be a doctor so so, so biology was what i was uh, focusing on but uh, for some whatever reason i i think in 12th i did not uh, spend a lot of time studying i was you know more of uh, just loafing around i think so i could not get through the uh, the medical entrance test and uh, decided that engineering is the second option and i had sort of an inkling towards computers so i went towards i took computer science and uh, that's how my journey into the whole uh, engineering computer engineering started uh, so it was it was just accidental i think i became an engineer okay so h- how were those uh, four years in college like right so the uh, thing is um, when i took up engineering i think i took up computer engineering because i just liked computers uh, i didn't know much about it and uh, this was uh, way back in 2007 as when i think uh, 2003 is when i got into engineering and those times uh, it was still early days of uh, internet I, no i i went to a college in college? bangalore called uh, nitte NITT, um, and uh, this was um, you know the early days, and especially in that uh, in Mangalore, uh, internet was not really easy to access. So so we used to get like that one hour in your internet uh, 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 lab where you can yeah computer lab. Computer yeah. lab. So uh, I I've right. got my first desktop yeah. also in yeah. my first year of uh, engineering. Before that, I did not have a desktop at home. so uh, so the first year again was more like fun not being serious and then uh, second year what happened is there was this uh, i still remember there was this uh, project that you had to do and uh, you would have an external uh, uh, examiner come in to look at your project and uh, like every other uh, uh, colleague back then we downloaded it from the internet and presented it uh, this is what everyone they downloaded the project they did not work on it presented it as their own project so i did the same <laughs> and uh, as uh, no surprise <laughs> examiner knew what what students do <laughs> so uh, we while we got terrible marks i think the lesson i learned is the examiner put it as a over and said um, you know if you're going to just think about marks in life you're not going to get anywhere think about why is this in the syllabus why are you told is so that you can learn and uh, that i think was a defining moment for see he might not know what he did 
But I think it's an amazing thing that he said because usually what happens, the teacher just shout at you, and uh, he 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 told me the why. Why are you supposed to do this? It, and he said it's not the marks. For marks, yeah, you can download and do it. But when you do it, you learn it. So I made it a point that in the second time, I'll build something on my own. So so the this was the fourth semester where again we had a project. And while my friends again, all of them around me were downloading, and then this time they were tweaking it so that uh, it's not seen as a copy. I I, I built it from scratch, and uh, I learned a lot. Uh, and I was really uh, looking forward to the uh, you know the exam external coming in. This was a new external examiner. Surprisingly, he gave the same marks to everyone, including me. He never saw my project. <laughs> so, so, uh, though, but I think I think in that moment. Uh, it it was not marks anymore. It was not about someone seeing the joy I felt and the fact I could show. And this I built a small game in uh, C graphics, and and the fact that I could talk about it even today I talk about it. See see now I'm talking about it. I think that uh, that moment defined it, saying that it doesn't matter what others think, what external examiners think, but that satisfaction of doing something on your own. I think that I I caught on to the bug. Surprising uh, that game was called Bug Attack. Uh, it was about a, f- uh, a farmer saving his farm from bugs by shooting at them. So, so yeah, I think that was my defining moment into the world of uh, building products and software. And after that, I've never looked back. In my fourth year of engineering, again, the, when the final year projects were there, I built, again, I built it on my own. While this time, my friends had gotten sophisticated. There was a company where you could pay them to build your custom software. Uh, <laughs> you know the progress people make is amazing, yeah. but uh, for me it was uh, you know it's just fun. After that, my 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 project it was a team of three. Uh, the other two did not do anything. It was just me, and I did not complain. I I I got them to make the documentation, but I did the coding. So you know a win win for everyone. But yeah, uh, that was fun. And uh, this was again tragical because uh, this was a software I built where you could download things from the internet at the night because uh, in the morning you had these internet uh, uh, download restrictions and you had to pay for them. While from 9 p.m. to 10 a.m., the downloads were free. So I built a desktop app where you could uh, choose what you want to download and the night it will start down. And uh, like anything, uh, yeah, yeah, PDFs, PDF videos, uh, anything you wanted. Videos? Uh, you just had to like bookmark it and the software would be on your desktop would start downloading in the night so in the morning that i called it night loader um, with a k uh, with a k though and and the surprising thing was uh, on that very day our internet in our uh, uh, in our exam uh, this thing was not working so so i could not demo it but then the teacher appreciated the fact that i built it and i i remember we got one of the highest uh, for that project but yeah it's like and i think this is where the learning of you know no matter how well prepared you are Things can go wrong, I think, uh, and that's what I'm experiencing in startups as well right now. But uh, I think college played a very crucial part in uh, putting me in that direction of entrepreneurship. So yeah, uh, that was my early day. Was being in a job as much fun? I mean, you learned to be a software engineer and then you joined a software company. Was that also uh, fun, or did you I get bored? I think it was bored? fun because uh, see. Though college and gives you enough uh, theoretical understanding, and uh, you might do all of these, you really uh, sitting there in the college, you don't know what happens inside a company, and you know how things are done. So I got through campus, and uh, and by the way, my campus story was also interesting. I was so busy building, I was not learning, and I'm 
really not a theory, theoretical guy. So I had a couple of back papers. So I was not allowed to sit for any uh, of the campus placement, except this one company where the guy said anyone in the in the college can sit. So around 800 people sat for it, and uh, they, yeah, they chose only some five people, and I was one among. And that was my only choice. If not that, I would not have gotten into a, a campus job. Uh, and this was 2007. Uh, as soon as we graduated, the whole downturn had started. So there were a lot of people without jobs. So I was fortunate to get into this. But I think I learned a lot on how companies operate and uh, you know how do you work with others because you in college you're just sort of you and your friends versus here there's a new set of people you don't really know and you have to work with them. So I think I learned those things in the first two years, two two and a half years I worked in my first company. Uh, more of a corporate job uh, still it was sort of like a startup within that corporate like this uh, guy who was running it uh, like i said he didn't want to follow the norm of only people without a backlog can sit for interviews so he said anyone can sit so he was sort of trying to build something different within that corporate company um, so two two and a half years that was fun after that uh, obviously that it was a what, what was the product it was, yeah it was, a was it like a for the recruitment list? industry where uh, recruiters could uh, 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 follow the entire, uh, it was an HRM software and this was the pre-SaaS case. So we had to customize the software for different databases. The installation was where you had to go to the premise and install it for the clients and uh, you know that whole thing, the you know, pre-SaaS. So, so there I learned a lot. Obviously uh, within corporates, uh, different things don't always work. The division was shut down after I think two years. So um, I started looking out for a job. Uh, I was still employed in a different project, which was interesting, but not that uh, good. It was, not, again, a services kind of thing. You had to build for uh, some Sri Lankan government. I was building something, but it was not fun. So I finally happened to uh, write to burp.com. Burp.com back then was the restaurant review website, default one for India. This was before Zomato or Swiggy or anything happened. And uh, I wrote to them, uh, and I think the founder got back. Then I went to Mumbai to interview. I was in Bangalore in my first job. So I went to Mumbai to interview. Uh, I almost missed my flight, I remember, because I think those were one of the first times I, I traveled by flight alone. And I didn't know that you had to be there like 45 minutes before. So I, I barely made it. And uh, they had closed the gate. And I told them that, please let me in, because otherwise I'll miss my interview. So they made uh, arrangements for me to be alone transported to the plane. So I think that is, again, something, uh, you know, because if I had missed it, maybe I would not have gotten the job into a startup. Um, so, so I made it and to the interview, I cleared it. And that's how my journey to the startup began, because this was a startup, a proper startup with people being uh, like, you know, a friend and work kind of a culture, coming shorts, wherever. And uh, founders talking to you, everyone on the same desk, uh, no cabins, like a big uh, area, you just sit and work so that's where my entry into startup began so but i joined and that's where i realized that uh, you could have an idea and you can start up before that the uh, i did not know how do you build a such large company because in a corporate what happens is there are so many layers there are so many people around you it just seems impossible that one person can do anything and uh, then you have a startup with uh, 20 30 people then you realize okay small companies can be built this is how you start so yeah that was my entry point and then around there because this got acquired a lot of people the key people started uh, 
uh, you know, slowly they were trying out their own ideas on the site. So that's when I got motivated to try my own small ideas. And I started experimenting during the weekends to build products. And that's where I think I built my first uh, uh, product, which ultimately became Crowdfire. It was more like a weekend thing. Okay. So you also written uh, 2i5 in your LinkedIn bio uh, as another startup you did uh, around the time. Right. You so, Verb, you know, uh, that was just a blog. <laughs> but uh, the early days, what happens is when you, uh, it was a blog that used to review uh, different products uh, built on Twitter. And uh, if I reached out to the founder saying, hey, I'm a, sing- uh, I'm a guy who's running a blog, they don't get back. Uh, but if you reach out to them saying, hey, B, if you, instead of I, you use V, it changes a lot of things. So so I used, to, I used to project this as a startup, though it was a single guy writing a blog and, and, and reach out to people. So, but that was just a blog which I maintained. That helped me a lot, though, in understanding what the market wanted. Because uh, when you write blog posts, you get an idea on what is read more, what, what your audience wants. So that definitely gave me a direction in social networks, what were people looking for. And I realized that uh, people were looking for growth on social media. They wanted to grow. They wanted more followers. Uh, that's how I ended up building Crowdfire. Okay. So so tell me about the Crowdfire journey. Like you, uh, what did you originally so start it uh, as? People were looking for growth. And uh, I think before that... Uh, the bigger problem there was uh, in the early Twitter days, you could follow as many people as you wanted. And uh, for growing, what people used to do, they used to follow, let's say, 1,000 people so that 1,000 people get to know about them and maybe 100 people might follow you back. Yeah, and that's how you grow your following. Uh, the problem with this was when you follow 1,000 people, your timeline on Twitter gets flooded with unwanted uh, tweets. So, so then people are then looking to rectify that mistake. And uh, that's where I saw an opportunity and I built an easy way for people to unfollow people in large numbers. So, so that's how the first version started and that became viral. Uh, people started sharing it crazy. And I think the, the first uh, day itself, I, I saw 5,000 people signing up. And uh, within, within a few months, I think there were 200, 300,000 people already. And um, maybe in eight months or nine months, we were close to 800,000 or a million users. And while this was happening, I was still working at Burp and this was still a weekend project for me. So there was no no one else, me alone coding on Saturdays and Sundays or on weekdays after I go back home. Um, about three months into this, three or four months into this uh, weekend project, the number of people using it was so large that I could not afford to pay the server charges. Um, it was ex- ex- expensive and uh, I had not monetized it. So what I decided was I need to pay the server charges, let's monetize it. So I put a simple paywall saying, if you want to unfollow more than 25 people in a day, uh, you had to pay $10, yeah, like a one-time fee. Um, and I thought maybe, you know, I'll get a few hundred dollars and uh, pay off the server charges. And the ch- server charges were maybe $200, $300. But yeah, at that time, you're you're doing a regular job. $200, $300 is a lot of money to pay out of your pocket. Um, so, so I put this. Surprisingly, I think within the first few weeks, I started making way more money than my job was paying my entire year. 
so so that's where i understood the power of uh, the internet see what happens is i i've seen the offline world i've seen my dad's restaurant i've seen the kind number of people who can come who can pay how much a uh, percentage cut you would make from that but here you are in the internet world where uh, your expenses if you are a software developer is nothing except for your server charges and the distribution that you get online is mind blowing you know we are just so used to uh, numbers like 100000 million but you put that in the offline world perspective there is no business that can accommodate 100000 people coming except for maybe the stadiums uh, the largest uh, stadiums no one can so you know we don't get that perspective but you know even if a small percentage of those people pay that's a ton of money and uh, that realization happened when i put this paywall till then i never knew that you could make this kind of money and uh, my my blog was not paying me a lot because advertisements don't pay you a lot uh, like 10000 views you will get a uh, $100 10 20 so so this is where the and this was the early days of saas saas was not such a known term by the way nobody thought that uh, you know and my my first model was not saas it was a one time payment but uh, when i saw that one time payment um, and eventually then you learn then i converted that to a monthly payment and that shot up my pay, my my revenue like crazy and uh, yeah, yeah, around this time you were still in your job like, like the, you know it was uh, it was i think the whole traditional mindset that you need a job <laughs> there was nothing else that was keeping me there and uh, when i told my parents i need to quit they were also worried they also uh, because they saw me in a job i was happy they were like are you sure you want to quit i told them yeah i'm making more money but i don't think parents really bother so much about how much their kids make uh, compared to you know that kids being happy for the parents it's more happiness and i think yeah and maybe yeah, my stability. dad coming from a, yeah. a, a business background understands what it takes back then to be honest even i did not anticipate the kind of unsettled life that you could lead as an entrepreneur and no matter how much money you make um, the, the job versus an entrepreneurship that really two different uh, mindsets and you know you need to take a choice there's nothing good or bad it's this or that um, but i think i think i i i just took that dive because uh, i knew that here i'm making enough if i go wrong also i can always get back to a job and i would have saved enough to not worry about my expenses so so i would say in a way it was more accidental for me to quit my job um i see i'd see today and i i don't know if i can do it i see a lot of people who say i quit my job i'm trying to figure out the next uh, thing i want to do in my startup maybe it's a new uh, new generation thing maybe because there's more stability in their lives uh, even otherwise i think uh, but back in the day i had to make sure i was uh, financially secure before i could quit so that was my journey uh, back then and, and that's how the whole startup thing started for me Mm-hmm. okay so uh, once you got into it full time uh, like when did you change the name to crowdfire that was not the yeah, original so, name you had see, right so these are typical mistakes uh, where you know when you are uh, building something um, you think in the moment and name it <laughs> and i was building a tool to unfollow so i named it just unfollow now uh, that worked well for a year a year and a half or two years i think Uh, but then i wanted to build more features and the problem was no matter how much i built no one was using anything else apart from the unfollow feature uh, 
because that's the mindset people come with that it's just unfollow so and i wanted to build a social media management uh, suite a set of tools for managing all your social networks in a single place the way you have uh, like uh, uh, the tools today you have like hubspot and hootsuite yeah so crowdfund is a direct competitor to hootsuite and buffer today uh, and that is what way back this was i think we renamed it 2014 or 2015 so yeah 3 4 years we were running as uh, just unfollows lines are blurred right now but yeah, i think in 2014 we renamed it mostly or 15 i don't remember okay 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 and uh, like did you bring on a co-founder or you were like running it alone and you built up a team and all that like like you know how did it progress like first year after quitting what kind of revenue did you make what kind of headcount did you have and then how yeah, did that so, grow um, the first uh, person to join me was about 4 months after i quit and that was my first co-founder my tech co-founder samir he was working with me at burp so it was easy to you know uh, Uh, convince him to join me, and uh, he joined me. And then after a year again later, my third co-founder Siddharth joined me. He was running his own startup. Then we realized that together we could build this faster. So he joined. So they joined later, but I gave them uh, the co-founder tie because this was still early days of uh, running the company. So yeah, that's how three of us uh, got together. Um, but uh, our headcount i think the second year of starting up uh, when sami joined me it was just me and him the third year i think we were like four or five people we had scaled up to five people because uh, we realized a lot of work had to be done we had the money to so we bootstrapped this first business to a million dollars in revenue without any funding and uh, about 6 million or 7 million users by 2014 or 2013 the same thing that i started in 2010 as a side project in 3 years it had scaled up and uh, in 24 15 we raised our first round of uh, 2 and 1/2 million dollars from kalari capital and uh, but, uh, but till then yeah there was till was then like we were just really 2020 then after raising the series a we scaled up really fast to about 70 80 people by 2016 or 2017 i think Hmm, hmm, hmm. So the series A was uh, with what objective to build it into a like a buffer kind of a platform, like a complete yeah. By the way, buffer also was not suit. a platform in uh, uh, that time. They were only about uh, scheduling, and uh, they were also trying to navigate towards becoming a suite. Hootsuite was probably that uh, one of those first uh, few who had the vision to be a social media management software right from day one. Um, and is because of uh, Ryan who's the uh, founder he comes from that agency background where they used to do it for the agencies so i think uh, his background helped him understand what the market wants uh, me was accidental i think buffer also was sort of they were accidental guys they built a scheduling software which scaled up so so yeah um, i think this is a difference between first time entrepreneurs versus uh, people who've done it before uh, you sort of have a bit more uh, i would say um, Uh, insights into what the market wants compared to newbies but that's okay everyone has their own uh, pros and cons so yeah uh, we built this and uh, we started scaling it up and uh, we tripled our revenues i think to 3 million within a year year and a half of raising our first round so that went really well but then uh, in 2016 december i think um, 
uh, Instagram changed the rules of their software, of their APIs. And uh, that's where my first uh, understanding that you're building on top of some other third-party APIs. The problem is when your features clash with their monetization, they're going to get you out of the way. Uh, and our uh, mm-hmm. biggest features were providing you growth. And uh, if you look at the uh, social networks today, the way one of the apart from advertisement, one of the best ways for them to make money is by getting you to pay for growing your social network, uh, your profiles on their platform. So people pay for trending hashtags, people pay for gaining followers. They all pay to Instagram, to Facebook, to Twitter. Um, back in the day, people used to grow organically using our software by paying us just $10 a month. Uh, so so they started removing these APIs. They started putting out rules saying you can't build these features. And uh, and these guys are really smart with narratives. So many of these social networks, they said this is to cut the spam. This is to cut the uh, unwanted usage of our social network. This is all bullshit data. The, there was no spam. Uh, uh, we were helping people to cut out the spam by unfollowing people. There is no spam in unfollowing. And, uh, yeah. and if you do not follow enough people, how do you even know who are the people you need to be following? Who are the people tweeting well? You know, so so all of this is all. If you see, it was all crap because they wanted to build their own feed where they can feed you things they want you to see, not what you want to see, or not what you should discover. You see the social networks of today; their feeds are their algorithms are trained to show you what they want to want you to see, not what you want you should be seeing or you should you want to see. It's not designed for that. So this was all the precursor to that. You know, the, to the world that we are in today, where social networks control what we consume. They control who grows on their networks and who does not. Um, you've seen what has happened. While we may not politically agree, but Trump has been banned today. So, you know, ultimately, I think uh, it was all a very vicious thing that kept happening. And we were uh, collateral damage. Our, uh, our, our top features got cut out. And uh, that led to a lot of trouble for us because our revenues took a hit. So we had to downsize the company. And uh, this was for no fault of us. We were running really well. We were growing 3x every year in revenue. Um, but yeah, the, it it also gives you an understanding of never to build on top of these centralized companies because the day they are done with you, they'll cut you off. So I don't recommend anyone to ever do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did uh, Hootsuite and Buffer also go through this? Uh, period of contraction like uh, uh, and was this only Instagram or did it happen uh, on multiple platforms like the, the restrictions it's of happened everywhere. third it's party integrations Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and everyone has been affected Hootsuite for example used to give you that feed you could view your timeline on, and I think today you can't do that uh, for few of the social networks uh, Instagram has also almost cut off a lot of the you can't do the feed, you can't uh, you know, follow on from you can't do that at all. Uh, you can't uh, easily reply to direct messages. There's a lot of things that have been cut off. So, uh, but the thing is, for them, what worked is from day one, at least for Buffer, they were more B2B. They were more towards companies. Uh, for us, and my, my, my DNA is more consumer. I was more about the consumers, which is why uh, we have more users acquired in the last... 10 years, which is over 20 million, compared to even Hootsuite or Buffer. No one has close to our user space. Um, so the kind of growth we saw was because we were consumer. We were not uh, B2B. But after this happened, we had to move to B2B. Now we are more uh, B2B.
okay L- like you were catering more to people who were yes, influencers yes. or uh, so, wannabe influencers uh, it was more about uh, i was a big champion of the influencer uh, uh, segment and this was even before influencers were a big thing like the podcasters the youtubers all of them by the way used to use us they've grown a lot of most of the influencers of uh, you know uh, that you see today who have been there for 5 6 years they've all used uh, crowdfire to grow and there's nothing wrong in that because if they don't put their sense in front of people how will people discover there is no other way you know no one is magically going to get to know you unless you're a celebrity on television or you're getting caught in the local media no one will know that you are a good podcaster or a good youtuber and the only way to know was to for you to reach out to the people on your own so but again you know what i've seen in all this whole thing is uh, nobody cares about the small guy it's only where the big money is where uh, you know it's the large companies and everyone builds things around them uh, the others just have to pick the pieces and adjust themselves to the uh, ecosystem that exists that's how it is <laughs> okay Okay. So, Crowdfire is still like a scaled-down version of what of it feature, used to be. In terms of uh, like features, it's a scaled-down version the, because yeah. we've now got a lot more features. In terms of uh, active user base, it's uh, definitely a smaller number because it's uh, B two B now. Uh, you could you could also use it. A lot of influencers use it, but uh, more than influencers, the revenue model everything works better for let's say agencies, companies, startups, all those. Hmm. <laughs> okay. And and you are uh, like you moved on to your next venture. So so you're not like actively no, involved so in running Cloudfire uh, anymore. They're running it. They've been people who've been with us right from like the initial days after. Uh, one of them joined us. I think they were all um, most of the people are in the top uh, the first ten people who joined us back then. So they're running it and they love working on it and growing it. Uh, but i i was like i said my dna is more consumer i somehow don't uh, connect with the whole business software not yet i wouldn't say never but not yet uh, so so i want i i started looking out for what's next and uh, it was not just consumer the second was this whole the reason why i told you about the social networks and their control on the ecosystem of developers is uh, i was looking for what is it that i can build where nobody else controls what i build and that happened to be uh, crypto the blockchain ecosystem is one where you, it's a permissionless distributed ledger so that permissionless is the thing that attracted me you don't have to ask anyone to build something on top of this and uh, which is why i got into this whole uh, uh, ecosystem and said i'll build something on that so uh, like you know give me an elevator pitch of blockchain like if uh, you were to convince a vc to fund a blockchain based business uh, what would be the elevator pitch for blockchain as a technology like you know just like a simplified uh, yeah, version yeah i think it. see uh, look at the internet uh, the internet at the very basic level is just a peer to peer transfer of information what you and me are doing right now it's information flowing between me to you you to me and uh, the entire internet that has been built is built on this philosophy of information transfer from peer to peer now the crypto networks the blockchain is peer to peer transfer of value okay you have to remember and understand this 
peer-to-peer -peer transfer of information created the digital internet age and transformed the world. What happens when this peer-to-peer -peer transfer of value takes over and comes as a second layer on top of this information? Now you can have hundreds and thousands of applications that will be built on this very concept. I cannot even tell you what can be built because like in 1995, I could not tell you to book a cab and travel. You can survive a pandemic on information transfer. But peer-to-peer -peer value transfer is the underlying concept of everything that is happening in this ecosystem today. So if I were to use an analogy, so like say earlier, if you wanted to be a video creator, you would have to go through a TV channel. But now you can just upload a video on YouTube and directly reach your audience. Yeah, it democratizes similarly uh, like information. Right? You know, you you're a podcaster, you start your own. You don't have to worry about it. You're on the internet, anyone can access it. You don't need a middleman, right? That's what you needed a middleman for in the broadcasting world. So, like right now, RBI yes. is say or a, a middleman yes, for exactly. exchange so, of value, and, uh, and you know, um, let's go below that RBI. So, why they are doing is they don't have a technology to not be the middleman. Uh, the the way you see in the offline world, for example, when I have to pay you hundred rupees, I take out a hundred rupee note, give it to you. That's a transaction between me and you. Now, in the internet world, that was not possible till blockchain and Bitcoin was created. Because in the internet world, you have, when you make a transfer, you're actually instructing your bank online to make a transfer to my bank account online. So it's a three-party, four-party, five-party system. But when you send me a Bitcoin from your wallet to mine, it is just between me and you. It's exactly a replica of the cash system online. So now, you know, this is what is the whole magic. And once you understand this magic, no one can tell you that what applications can be built because if I, I know it, I'll build it. I would want to be those uh, early movers in this space, you know. Uh, but again, I think it will take some time because the infrastructure is being built. It's like the internet did not become the internet till undersea cables were laid all over the world. So it takes some time to build out this infrastructure, which is the stage at which uh, the blockchain world is right now, the infrastructure building stage. Okay. So, so like Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are one of the use cases of blockchain and possibly currently the most popular uh, use like case that. of so blockchain. See, the internet has websites. The blockchain has uh, crypto. Uh, there's uh, any use cases will have to be built with crypto in the mix. You cannot build it in isolation because then it becomes like your intranet versus internet. So if you run a network within a company, that's the intranet, right? Uh, and that's okay within that company. So if you were to remove crypto, then that becomes an intranet application within your company. You can have blockchain only application within your company or within two companies that trust each other. But if you want a truly permissionless system, crypto has to be there to protect the network. Because why? See, if you have a, a permissionless system, What's the first thought that comes to your mind? That I can write garbage into it. I can change the data. I can, uh, you know, really do bad things. This is where your cryptocurrency comes in to protect the network. Because it makes it expensive for you to write into it. Okay. Okay. Uh, how does it work? Like, what are the nuts and bolts uh, of So let's uh, it. distill it. Now, a blockchain is nothing but an open database. 
think of it as a notebook which is kept publicly for anyone to come and write all right uh, that's the core philosophy but the problem is if you do that anyone will come and write anything and what is written in this note notebook is nothing but uh, the transaction details saying let's say akshay transferred one bitcoin to nishchan yes it's a khata book it's okay. like a khata book in um, a way, like now to protect the network what was designed is if you want to write sure you can write but you can only write if you solve a puzzle a puzzle which is a mathematical equation uh, let's take for example to simplify let's say 1 plus 1 equal to 2 so the puzzle will be 1 plus x equal to 2 so you need to find x okay now who, the 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 puzzle is whoever solves it first can write into the book okay so let's say 1 plus x equal to 2 and i say 1 so i am the one who solved it first now i get the opportunity to write into the book let's say 10 minutes and for solving the puzzle i get rewarded uh, x number of bitcoins so when i write into the book i can also write 5 bitcoin to myself so that's where i make money where my motivation to solve the puzzle comes and this cycle has continued from the last 10 years it's a puzzle every time you solve it you write 10 entries again you the new puzzle comes in you solve it uh, on day 1 when this started the puzzle was simple because the puzzle uh, difficulty increases based on the number of participants okay so on day 1 you could solve this puzzle with your simple computer but as the network grew today you need a server farm to solve the puzzle because the puzzle has gotten that much more difficult so so one security feature is of course that there is a puzzle but then there is also like a distributed so, ledger so, as the so other let's, security let's feature right we spoke about this one book the problem with this one book is everyone will have to come to that one location so instead of that let's replicate this book entry into let's say 10000 books divided all over, around the world okay so now there are 10000 copies of this but the puzzle is still the same and whoever solves it writes into their book then the others will copy it now the thing is let's say you solve the puzzle and you want to do something malicious okay so you solve the puzzle you will write a wrong entry then what happens someone else who also now has a solution to the puzzle can say no this guy has written a wrong entry let me write the right entry now the others in the network will go with the right entry so that reward which you were supposed to get but because you put the wrong entry you lose the reward the other guy gets the reward so you are not motivated to do, put the wrong entry and this is how you protect the network this is a beautifully designed decentralized bay this is so simple on the core yet no one found it till 2009 when satoshi made it but this is this is all the magic is there's nothing beyond this hmm hmm okay so uh, like in a way it is uh, built in incentives for people to a maintain the yes, khata book exactly. and b be so this honesty gets uh, no rewards honesty gets you rewards of uh, today's i think 6.25 bitcoin so that's about uh, $200000 so the question is would you risk that to write a wrong entry where you know the other software is not going to take it and every 10 minutes that's mm-hmm. a reward mm-hmm. okay 
and and because it's so expensive to uh, create a bitcoin now because of the complexity therefore the value of bitcoin has also gone up like why has the value of bitcoin gone up because there is no underlying asset na? like in currency you have gold as like supposedly an asset or like you know you have the sovereign backing of currency uh, but what is the yeah. underlying See, the, value the of trust bitcoin in the network is what is valued on day 1 when there were five people in that network the value was maybe uh, it, there was no value in, on on in 2009 2010 uh, because there were like 10 20 people 30 people but as more and more people started trusting the network and trusting the blockchain the value of the cryptocurrency increases now you have an ecosystem today of maybe i, I don't know 100 million people who trust bitcoin and trust is what uh, drives everything in the world um the, uh, and uh, trust if you want to distill trust is more about uh, acknowledgement when 70 80 90 million people agree on a common uh, uh, let's say cryptocurrency it means they all trust it you know uh, like words i can create any word i want but only words that are accepted everywhere has meaning so so ultimately your cryptocurrency is backed by the trust of the people in the network and that is where the value comes and because it is limited in number you can only have 21 million bitcoin the price as the network grows the price is supposed to increase now now see the thing is while those who do not understand want to say that it's a ponzi people are just in it but there is something that those 70 80 90 million people know that maybe there might be some truth to it and i'll tell you what it is you spoke about gold there is no verifiable method in the world today to estimate how much gold is in circulation which is why you often come across scams where i think one of the latest was in china where gold more gold than what they held was uh, acknowledged and then they had uh, loans taken on top of that non existent gold uh, because you cannot verify then recently i saw a news article where uh, some gold was seized and when they uh, and it was in the cbi or some of under their control when they opened it there was not enough gold in it as again what they thought it's not verifiable but when i tell you that there is only going to be 21 million you can verify that on that kada book and that is something that is solid and you cannot change it so this 70 80 million people believe a verifiable book record is much more valuable than something that's unverifiable and purely on uh, just assumptions so if you want to store your value now the question is would you store save it on a verifiable blockchain or would you trust all your wealth on a non verifiable asset like gold okay now you don't have to take that choice you don't have to make a zero and one what you can do is you can diversify which is where from an investor point of view the thought process is if tomorrow gold gets devalued for whatever reason because maybe we thought the market cap of gold is today around 12 trillion dollars because there is maybe x uh, tons of gold in the market but maybe there's there's 2x uh, gold in the market or maybe that's half of x you don't know what it is so so this is why you take a hedge against these offline world and say that i also want to put some of my value into bitcoin so so that's just one thought process that exists so these 70 80 million people who trust bitcoin 
are essentially trusting it as an investment option, like a diversification of their investment portfolio option? Or is there also other value of Bitcoin, like as a medium of yeah, exchange? So I just told like you, currency. One, I just told you one perspective. See, it's, you know, it's a lot like the internet. The internet to you might be different from the internet to me. Um, for example, in Venezuela, what is happening is their currency is being devalued. And yes, and right. the it's only worthless, way basically. people there found a way to sustain or to, I would say, uh, uh, contain their wealth and to protect it was to buy Bitcoin. Because if you buy gold, you have physical gold, which can be confiscated. You have your currency, it will be devalued. How do you conserve? How do you store your wealth? For that time frame when your country is going through a rough waters or you know it can be seized by a government is by putting it into bitcoin and holding that custody with yourself because like i said this is pure cash you don't have to trust anyone to hold your bitcoin so so that's that's one more point of view the other is now let's take the india example where i keep telling that uh, bitcoin is going to play a very very important role is remittances today when you want to bring in money to india from your friends or family sending you dollars there is a slippage of seven to ten percent we don't realize by the way because the financial system is so inefficient and so smart that the common man does not realize what they're losing you know that a hundred dollar loses about seven to eight percent by the time it reaches you in IMR. okay okay like transfer fees and the currency exchange rate is yeah, not favorable. Every, everything, everything, currency conversion, uh, banks yeah. in between taking charges, everything when it comes to you, it's already lost 7 to 8%. But if it was Bitcoin, your uh, family can just immediately transfer. So one is it's instant. You don't have to wait two to three days. Second is there is no slippage of value. Now extrapolate that to India seeing, I think India sees 100, 200 billion dollars worth of uh, remittances. That 8% is about 15 to 20 billion dollars lost to this middleman who are nothing but the financial systems that whose only aim is to make money off of it, nothing else. So I think mm -hmm. that is a very beautiful uh, you know, use case for India. So why isn't everyone doing it? And wouldn't this like bankrupt a lot of... Uh... Uh, financial sector players if everyone started See, to do is, it it's uh, it's like your why is not everyone ordering online there is always an offline world right so so see, it's, it's not about uh, bankrupting someone everyone has their own use cases maybe that convenience maybe that uh, not understanding technology I, I, this is how it is my parents may not buy online because for them offline is so it's more of that so the internet world that is this whole bitcoin world is being built for the new generation which does not want to interact with the old you know, and there's a lot of uh, new value that will emerge from here. And a lot of people are already doing it. To your question, why is not everyone doing it? A lot of people are doing it. And I believe uh, as uh, the understanding uh, percolates to the rest of the masses in India, they will all start doing this. Now, I'll tell you the other, from a country point of view, why this is important is today, India relies on the US dollar. But that US dollar is now coming back to my same story of I built on top of uh, a third party APIs who pulled it off. India today has to listen and agree to what the US says. 
if india was to run some nuclear test there will be sanctions india will be out of the financial system for or get some or the other uh, sanctions imposed and how does how, how are these sanctions imposed by saying you can't deal with countries that deal with dollar but if india was to own bitcoin no country can put any sanctions on india or tell india what to do and what not so we are in a very archaic very old school world of today saying uh, we are valuing ourselves with the dollar we hold as country think about it the dollar is printed by the us with no backing there's no gold behind it it's fiat money we are indirectly just i would say uh, tagging along and helping the dollar grow we are not growing our economy we are growing the dollar uh, you know i i don't see the point of why are we proud of holding 300 million dollar dollars in our assets we we should own gold we should own bitcoin because these are decentralized assets again so that's where my point of remittances will play a major part in helping india be more uh, self reliant Hmm. 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 But uh, is Bitcoin safe in India? The government seems to have like a, a somewhat uh, unfriendly attitude towards Bitcoin, uh, and I think there have been a lot of developments also. If you could just sure. talk about See, those developments, classic, uh, fight or flight response that uh, we humans have inbuilt in us. When you see something you don't understand, you either want to fight it or run away from it. Um, but as slowly this is the internet what happened i used to call it a fraud and when i was in tension i ordered a uh, a wallet that was a gucci wallet on ebay and uh, some fake wallet came to me uh, and then i was like the internet is a fraud and for a few years i did not use the internet but uh, you know eventually you understand and today you survive a pandemic with the internet so so the same thing is playing out here it it is going to be that period of time where we are going to see a lot of heartache in the regulatory landscape because uh, you know uh, first it starts with oh it's a threat oh it's going to cause issues oh criminals use it but though uh, less than 1% criminals would use it and the criminals who are dumb enough to think that bitcoin is uh, not traceable because cash is a way better system in the offline world than bitcoin where everything is on an open ledger so you wouldn't use that for criminal activities but yeah ultimately what happens is this all these misunderstandings eventually i think when we look back when let's say 3 to 5 years down the line we'll be like okay this was all a small blip where we had to just explain and understand make countries understand what this is all about so it's all about spreading the knowledge and uh, yeah maybe india might have some issues right now we had a banking ban in 2018 and uh, we had to go to the supreme court after 2 years we won it in 2020 but there was a two years where india just destroyed an ecosystem so i i really uh, feel uh, um, sad knowing that our uh, uh, lawmakers and all are seeing in a very different direction but i wouldn't blame them right now i i like the fact that at least that is happening see it's it's better to do something even in the wrong direction rather than just sitting on the sideline so while this seems to be not the best approach but i think even if they've started negative i am confident that with enough dialogue we'll get it to a situation where we can positively get this right so that as a nation we don't stay, stay fall behind others in this tech hmm. Hmm. okay so uh, tell me about the wazirx journey so around 16 17 you realize that you don't want to build on top of 
other properties like uh, on top of the uh, facebook owned properties or uh, twitter and so on so then uh, from that to where you are today in your journey in crypto sure. like tell uh, me about that so yeah my journey was because this is decentralized no one can say what to do but a disclaimer the government can tell you what to do and what not to do so while i escaped the private companies out here the government is setting up uh, you know a sort of uh, uh, do's and don'ts in the sector which is okay this is it's needed um, but ultimately i think um, we launched this in 2018 jan now um, there's an entire uh, startup understanding here on how to go about because this was my second time i knew how to go fast um, so the first thing was i was getting into a market we were not pioneers we were not the first crypto exchange wasirex was not the first crypto exchange we were probably the last ones in 2018 to launch because uh, there were many before us and uh, so then the question is uh, why build one more crypto exchange so when i looked around all of these crypto exchanges that existed i i did a simple market uh, research i didn't have data so i just looked at their uh, mobile apps the on the play store and the top rated app back then in the crypto exchange space in india was at about 3.4 or 3.5 rating so now you know there's a gap of uh, about 1.5 stars which is the gap which the market wants someone to fill which means there is no quality out there there's nothing which people are happy about so so that was my first decision that we are going to build a, another exchange but we'll make sure that we focus on being the top rated app in the country which means focusing on quality of your product the second was though you did this research you also need to figure out if the market is ready for it or if the market wants it so what i did was instead of directly building the product i announced that i would build this and i opened up a sign up page where you could just put your name and your email and sign up but there was no product built and uh, this sort of went viral we got 30 40000 people signing up in a week's time of announcing this and uh, that's when we parallelly we frantically said let's start and we started building so so you know it was uh, it was like a, a, a market research for me to understand if there is a need because i don't want to spend 6 months building something that people don't want so so once i got this understanding from the market Uh, that a there was a lack of quality second there was a demand i uh, got to building and uh, uh, then eventually in march we launched it but what i did not uh, uh, stop doing was marketing the product so ja- i think jan we announced it the whole of jan feb i was still marketing it so you you were like a, a influencer yourself right you have like about 84000 followers on twitter so so that was your medium of uh, marketing and uh, like generating demand through through your own right so it, i had as this following it was not this huge it was less uh, i don't remember but 3 uh, years ago i had this following initial set of people who uh, because i used to tweet about decentralization cryptocurrencies and all so i built a, a sort of a following so that helped me initially uh, push it out and uh, uh, reach the right kind of user so yeah but i think that was also a conscious effort so um, that was the third part the third part was because this is a financial sector it is not regulated and uh, you you have a lot of bad actors as well because there is no regulation the way that people will trust you is if you come in front of them so no startup founder in the crypto sector was in front of people back then 
so i said i want to be the face i want to be in front of people because people will trust people you know ultimately it's not about product brand everything if i meet you in person i talk to you i can know i will trust you more than anyone else any other brand which is why people reach out to their friends their near and dear ones to get recommendations on what to do what to buy where to go so so this was a conscious effort of being in front of people even today i practice that i am a very vocal uh, founder i talk about what we are building i talk about the ecosystem and uh, th- i did that because people are not going to trust their money and their wealth into an unknown entity especially now see the banking world what happens is you have licenses as that trust factor so you know a bank is licensed let's put one but in our ecosystem we don't have regulation I, though i've been pushing for regulation uh, but until that comes you have to be in front of people you have to tell them you are there as a founder to help them out so that was the third thing that drove us to uh, such massive success in the initial days itself and it's continued ever since so yeah uh, that's how that's how we started did you uh, raise funding before launch or uh, like this was bootstrapped, this was also not, bootstrapped. Uh, um, raise uh, funding as such when we started out and uh, immediately then the banking ban came in after 3 weeks of launch so uh, i i i tell my uh, uh, i tell the importance of uh, going to market fast because if we hadn't launched and there was a banking ban we might have never launched so you know because because you are like then uh, do we need to spend time on uh, uh, uncertain future or do we take some other sector so so while we because we launched we were there and we said let's tackle it and we built but uh, again that became an opportunity so while these things existed uh, i what i realized after launching was uh, people are really really lazy when it comes to changing their financial uh, uh, software you know you don't change your bank account even if someone gives you a more rate of interest you won't simply change your bank account so when this banking ban came there was no way for people to use existing exchanges and we became the first one to immediately build a solution where we built a peer to peer way for people to buy and sell crypto so we were not the bank banking we were not getting your deposits you could directly transfer the money from your bank account to the seller which is one more person somewhere in india and that person would transfer the crypto to you and what happened is everyone flocked from the other exchanges which would not process their deposits and withdrawals to us so this we sweeped in we made adversity into an opportunity and uh, we could do it because we were new you know there was no baggage there was not uh, like 100000 uh, million people using us so we could quickly change today i am afraid i don't know we'll have to anticipate and build keep start building really fast because once you reach a stage it's very hard to build new software because there are so many use edge cases that can happen so you have to build it test it uh, retest it and then launch it but back then we took advantage of being uh, new to uh, drive the market towards hmm 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 okay that's amazing so uh, originally what was it like like uh, somebody would pay wazirx and then wazirx would further buy the bitcoins from the open market no, that so, was uh, how you launched uh, us when you say originally you see I mean before the ban yeah so before the ban we we yeah, and, before the ban, which yeah. is even today we are a simple platform where you let's say akshay has a bitcoin to sell and uh, nischal has uh, you know x rupees to buy that bitcoin so you will put a sell order and i will uh, put a buy order if the rates match it will automatically execute 
and uh, the um, INR will transfer from Nishal's account to your uh, account and from your Bitcoin will transfer to Nishal's. All of this within Vazirx. It's happening within Vazirx. So we do this automatically for you. So that's how the system was. Hmm. And this INR transfer would happen yeah. uh, from right bank now, to bank. Uh, like uh, from yes. Akshay's bank, it'll go to Vazirx's bank and then from yes, Vazirx's right. bank. But now when the bank ban happened, uh, we did not have a bank account. So what we did is we said when uh, Nistel is selling a Bitcoin, we we can custody the Bitcoin as an exchange because there was no law on that. So we would lock Nistel's Bitcoin and then we will ask Akshay to send the money directly to Nistel's bank account. And once Nistel gets it, we will say yes to Vazirx. So Vazirx will transfer the Bitcoin to Akshay's Vazirx wallet. So we were the first in India to build that. And uh, you know, with the banking ban, this was the only way where you can transact in uh, buying and selling cryptocurrency. And how are you earning from this? Like you would charge this a part, percentage as commission. We kept it free because this is the entry and the exit point. Um, but once you buy Bitcoin, what happens is you can then trade it for other cryptocurrency. So you can uh, you can sell your Bitcoin to buy Ethereum, and that's a crypto to crypto transaction only. So that used to happen on our exchange, and there we used to charge you. Uh, we still charge you uh, anywhere from point zero point zero point two percent to zero point one percent of your total transaction. Okay, okay, and that you will earn in Bitcoin. Yeah, like yeah, your then, revenue is back, in Bitcoin. Back then it was Bitcoin. Way. Now, or because in... INR has opened up, now we charge in INR. Okay, 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 okay. So, uh, you also uh, like underwent uh, an acquisition. Uh, tell me about that. And uh, okay, before we come to that, uh, what is behind the name Vazirx? Uh, so. Uh, I've been I've been fascinated with chess for a long time, and uh, you know um, I was just trying to figure out a way to provide. See, this is trading, and trading. What happens is you need to make the best moves to make money in the market, and uh, in chess, the queen piece is one that can make all the moves. So, so that was the idea between behind the name Vazir, and uh, X is for exchange. So we want to provide you that software, which is like the queen piece of chess. So you can make whatever moves you want and win. Hmm. Okay, nice, nice. Okay. And yeah. uh, tell me about uh, the acquisition. So this was 2019. And uh, banking uh, ban was still in effect. And uh, the crypto ecosystem in India was not able to grow as such. Um, and there was this company called Binance, which has been growing really rapidly globally. Um, Where they're is a distributed company. They don't have any headquarters. They've been distributed right from day one. And I think it's the nature of crypto and the nature of regulation that has forced them to be a distributed company from day one. So so they don't have any headquarters as such. Um, so, so when I looked at their growth um, and when I looked at the Indian ecosystem, uh, I'm probably one of those top guys right now in India in the crypto space, uh, which means I'm limited by uh, in finding the right mentors, the right kind of people who will help me because this is a new technology. Not enough expertise has been built on this. So so I found it necessary to find someone. And see, my, my objective always, more than anything, is how do I keep growing more than what I grew last year? 
uh, that's the single focus i always have personally as well my goal is to do better than what i did last year i'm not competing with others i'm not seeing what oh, they did that much that times i i read articles about uh, you know 25 year olds becoming billionaires and i i say what a failure i am but ultimately i think I, you know that's just a temporary thing <laughs> then i forget i think each one of us has to better ourselves that's the best thing that we could uh, do to ourselves uh, so so when i so looked at 2019 i said i need to grow faster and i could not see enough uh, mentor expertise or anything in the country and uh, binance happened to be that company so i reached out to them or i think they reached out i don't know uh, something happened uh, but i was looking for funds first uh because you obviously need capital and uh, when i started talking to them i realized i could take their money but then that money i could raise from anyone anyone could have uh, would have uh, you know usually second time owners would have such a raising money or a uh, idea that works but uh when i started talking to them i realized the insights the kind of company they're building the growth they're uh, they've been able to achieve i will never get that with just the money so i put it to them that uh, you know you know what instead of just funding us i think you guys should acquire us and then the you know direction went in that direction and that's how we got this uh, deal done my and i think it's worked beautifully we've grown over 10x after we got acquired because i've been able to learn from them and there's a lot to learn uh, the exposure they have globally in the crypto ecosystem and the way they work see the company which has grown from 0 to a billion dollars in 2 years you know and i'm talking about billion dollars in revenue i'm not talking about some valuation that you you we see based on a company this is hard hard money that they made in just 2 years when we were getting acquired i think they were around 400 500 people today they are 1200 1, or 1300 people in just one one and a half years and yes, this is and, like a pure distributed, distributed company by way, no by the way in the market they are the ones who deliver and who are faster than every other startup even now so the way they work they are they are even not just distributed they are decentralized internally and that learning is amazing they have they don't have to wait for orders they they take their decisions teams take their decisions they move ahead it's be, it's be, beautifully built i mean you have to be inside to learn and apply to your own company which is what i've been doing and i think i'm i'm glad uh, i would pay whatever money i would um, out here i took the money but i think i would pay money to you know experience and uh, know how how such rapid scaling works it's it's crazy hmm so what is your uh, likely uh, top line going to be this I, year i can't like, uh, uh, disclose that but i think uh, if you uh, do the math like for example last last month in jan and this is public data i'm telling we made a billion dollars in uh, trading volume so and our fees is from 0.1 to 0.2% so you can just do some maths you'll understand but yeah uh, last month was uh, really amazing we've grown really fast and i think uh, this is still the initial days of the market again there is a lot of uh, i would say uncertainty because it's not regulated there's this bill looming on everyone's head saying india will ban crypto so there's that um so yeah i i might be calm but there's a storm brewing behind us so you know i think uh, but that that's on to me you have to uh, accept it you can't fight it yeah. okay so my last set of questions and uh, these are questions which are coming from me personally like uh, 
you know i hesitate to put money in bitcoin because every time i think i should then i think wow this is the current price and oh it used to be this last year and it's like 2x of last year and i think it's too expensive now so you you know what do you think about that and i'm sure a lot of people would be feeling this way that nahi it's overpriced now i should have bought it last See, year uh, now there's no use it's overpriced it. if you're looking at uh, short term uh, gains and uh, may not be a good idea definitely because uh, in the short term what happens with bitcoin is uh, the market does not know how to price it uh, it's just so difficult you have never had a asset which is globally so accessible like like even gold and all it's been there for so many years and it's already reached so many people but here there is bitcoin which suddenly what happens is uh, for all you know tomorrow someone might like elon musk changes bio to bash bitcoin and suddenly 41 million people got to know about it. now if he changes bio to gold everyone would be like we know gold so so you know it's in that it's in that uh, price discovery range because new people are coming in in large numbers so the short term fluctuations cannot be predicted but i'll give you data of the last 10 years so what has happened to bitcoin in the last 10 years is in a 3 year period i think 3 or 4 year period no one has ever lost money which means if you buy bitcoin today and you keep it for 3 to 4 years you have not only have you lost not lost money you have also gained more than any other investment so so let's take the example of 2017 when you know this question that you're asking today in 2017 everyone was asking the peak was around $20000 the worst time to buy bitcoin in 2017 was $20000 in 3 years today it has it crossed $40000 right now tell me an investment that would have doubled your money in 3 years that's the worst that could have happened the worst that happened to people in 2017 if they just uh, forgot about it for 3 to 4 years is they doubled their money okay having said all of this don't put all of your money because ultimately this is this is a new technology okay and uh, um, you know history shows you that technology it really evolves rapidly it does not care about what exists it always disrupts so we don't know what will happen but i believe that uh, bitcoin has been around for 10 years has shown a strong uh, i would say uh, willingness to be ingrained into people's lives so maybe that is uh, going to re- remain the same and keep growing but yeah that's a disclaimer i would like to put um, be just put what you think is a good way to diversify your your investment uh, don't go all in uh, and that's again let's capture you want to go all in you go all in So, did you become a crypto believer after listening to Nishchal? If yes, then download the Wazirx app and put in some money in bitcoins. Trust us, your grandkids will thank you for it. You like the Founder Thesis podcast? Then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in. That is T H E P O D. iun.in for a complete list of all our shows